we have come as far as, well, we're really down. I'm going to back up to verse 17, where it tells us specifically, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, you can see that up there, and called the elders of the church. So this is day and a half to two day journey down, day and a half to two day journey back, 30 miles. Uh, he calls for the elders to come, which means he had to get somebody to run up there to tell them to come, however fast they were. So there's a process here. And he calls for the elders. Now, we're going to have an interesting picture as we go through here of pastors, elders, bishops. We start to hear these things in the church here in the book of Acts. He calls for the elders to come. And it says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them. Now, in verse 18, it says, he said unto them. And we have recorded now the only address in the book of Acts that Paul makes to believers. Every other time we have him recorded, he's preaching to the lost. He's preaching in a city. He's preaching this specifically through these verses, through the end of this chapter, we see Paul with other believers. And as we read through, we have pieces of what are in his epistles that are already written at this point. He's already written Colossians and Philemon's already written First and Second Corinthians, Romans. He's already written so many of these. And even the ones that hadn't been written yet, you, you hear them come alive when you hear some of the things that Paul is saying in these verses. So very important for us to take note of that. This is an address to believers. More than anything we've read so far in the book of Acts from Paul, this certainly is addressed to us. We've read the whole history in the book of Acts, which is addressed to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit here specifically puts Paul's words to the page, to the church. Very interesting. So when they were come, he said unto them, verse 18... You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, what manner of men I've been with you in all seasons. You've seen my example. You know how I've lived. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and many tears and temptations, trials is the idea, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. So he said, you saw me, you saw how I lived serving the Lord. And he says, how I was among you with tears. I mean, you know, when he writes Second Corinthians, he, 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 he says there, I, I want you to know that we were pressed out of measure to the Corinthians when we were in Asia. He said the pressure was so great that we despaired of life itself. And we see the tender side of Paul here talking to this church saying, you know that it was with tears. You observed, you saw my example, serving the Lord with humility of mind, with many tears and with trials which befell me by laying in wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you that have showed you and taught you, both of those are necessary, Publicly, remember the school of Tyrannus, he was there for over two years. Publicly and from house to house, no doubt 
the church in Ephesus, whatever the main meeting place was, if they had one, it was surrounded with house churches. But imagine having Paul in town for three years and over that period of time, he makes it to the home fellowships. He's speaking to people on a personal level. He's eating, you know, home fellowships are finding out what his favorite food is. So if you invite him over, they know that he'll come uh, publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God, he says, and faith toward Jesus Christ. Now, he says, behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He says, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, that these are the things awaiting me. So now he says, I go bound in the spirit. It's interesting because in, in the rest of his history, we're going to see Paul bound with chains. And that's the same word. He said, I may end up in chains, but that's not what's taking me to the chains. I'm going bound in the spirit. It's such an interesting, you know, Paul, he's completely aware of the power of Rome. And he wants to get to Rome. He's told us that, but he has no idea he's going to go in chains, bound in chains. He has no idea that he's going to have to appeal to Caesar to get there. And he says, but, but what prompts me now is I'm bound in the spirit. I'm chained in the spirit. There's something in my heart, he's saying to believers, he said, I'm bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. I, I just can't get off my mind. I, I know the Lord wants me to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to befall me there. He's going to start a riot and end up to be a prisoner. This is what I know, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. He's been in Philippi, Thessalonica, you follow him, Troas, and so forth saying, this is what the Holy Ghost is saying, that bonds and afflictions await me. I just know that. That's what's ahead of me. And he said, but I can't turn away from it because I, I just, I'm the prisoner of the Holy Spirit here. There's something ha happening in my life and, and I've got to do this. Now we're going to find out the church is going to encourage him not to do it. They're going to ask him to turn away, you know, He's going to encounter Agabus in chapter 21, saying whoever owns this cloak is going to go bound to Jerusalem and so forth. So then Paul, he gives us one of his grand life statements here. He says, but none of these things move me. Going to Jerusalem, bound in the spirit, knowing that bonds and afflictions are awaiting him. And, and no doubt, look, he's saying this. He know, he's going to say down in verse 26, uh, this is the last time, or verse 25, I'm going to see your face. He's been working with these men for three years. Miraculous things had taken place. They were even stealing his sweatbands, and people were being healed and delivered of demons. And he labored there among them. He made tents in the morning. He, he taught in the afternoon. He's intimately attached to these men that he had labored with. 
And he says, I hear this every, everywhere. It's, it's a pressure that troubles ahead, but it's a pressure by the Spirit to move me ahead. And he said, but even with that trouble on the horizon, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, reason, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry, the service, serving, which I have received, notice, not of men, of the Lord Jesus. That ministry that he's received is to testify of the gospel, of the grace of God. Uh, you just think, none of these things move me. Again, last week I shared, Paul at this point traveled 5,580 miles by land, 6,670 miles by sea, 12,350 miles all told over 16 years, evangelized over 1,500 square miles. I mean, he was tireless. He, he, he tells us that they were oppressed out of measure in Asia, you know, he said, when he writes Second Corinthians, may the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies, comfort you in your afflictions with the same comfort he comforted us when we were in our afflictions. He said, we're, every day we're falling apart, but we're renewed day by day. This is the Apostle Paul. While we look, not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Things that are seen, they're temporary. Things that are not seen, those things are eternal. He had wrote in Second Corinthians, you know, I've been beat three times. I've gone, I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been stoned. I've you know, all the pressure. He, and, and then he says, none of these things move me. None of, you, you listen to what's happened in, to, in his life by this point. And he says, none of these things move me. There's a course that's set out for me. That's my heart. Now the Spirit's telling me it's to go to Jerusalem. I've been warned there's difficulties that await me there. But none of these things move me. Remarkable statement as I look at it. You know, three times he specifically talks about a course. He tells us in Acts 13, it says, And when John the Baptist fulfilled his course, he said, Whom do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh after one whose shoes I'm not worthy to loose. When he had finished his course, he tells us here about his course. And then he's going to tell us in 2 Timothy, when he says, I fought the good fight, I have finished my course. That's 10 years after this, by the way. And in regards to that course, he's saying, this, this is what God have. You know, remembered how he, he had slaughtered Christians and held women, men and women to prison, made them blaspheme the name of the Jesus, and how Christ had come to him and set a course for him. Said, you're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to be taken before kings. You're going to suffer for my name's sake. And, and he's in the middle of that. And he's saying here, none of these things move me. You know, and I think, Lord, I am such a wimp sometimes. See, because there are things that move me. Some of them, no doubt, shouldn't. We are all moved. We're moved by what we see going on in our city around us. We're moved by what we see going on 
in Ukraine. We're moved by what we see going on in Africa, in North Korea. We're moved by what we see going on in Washington. We're moved by what we see going on in the economy. We're moved by what we see in the legislative branch and in the, the, the you know the, the branches of government, the judicial and the, the, the president. We're moved by things that we observe and see going on around us. We're moved by COVID. We're moved by vaxxed and unvaxxed. We're moved racially. We're moved politically, Democrat, Republican. We're moved by many things. This church, Christians, we're moved by many things, but none of those things define us. We have to be careful. Because as Christians, we should not be defined by any of those things. Paul says here, my course is, I want to finish it with joy. And it's serving the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing the good news to a lost world. That is what should define our lives. And each one of us have a course relative to that. We don't have each other's course. Paul is running his course, and he says the, 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 the reason he's able to run the course that he has because he doesn't count his own life dear or anything. Our main problem, I think, mine, in being aggressive in the sense of the course that the Lord has for me is I do count my life dear to myself. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. I'll ask yours. I do count my life dear to myself sometimes. I want this. I want that. You're, you're, you're violating my rights. You're telling me, you know, Lord, what's your course? What's your course, Lord? I'm 70 years old. I thought I figured it out by now. What's your course today, Lord? What's your course in the next hour? What's your course tomorrow? What's your course Good Friday as we gather? What's your course Easter morning as we talk about the resurrection? What's your course with this city, with this government. Look, when I think of the way most of our brothers and sisters around the world live, North Korea, unimaginable for Christians. China, persecution. The Muslim world, persecution. And Iran has the fastest growing church in the world. European countries, Canada. Think of our brethren are facing there. Think the, the majority of Christians around the world have accepted persecution and rejection as the normal Christian experience. And here we're getting moved by everything that's infringing on our rights. But America can't be the last great hope of mankind. People are still flooding across trying to get into this country. People aren't trying to escape. And this country is disintegrating, if you haven't noticed. But God has a course for all of us at such a time as this in this nation. And somehow, with all the insanity around us, God still wants us to do good. He wants us to let our light shine. 
He wants us to be an example. He wants us to be salty. He wants us to give to every man an answer in regards to the hope that we have. He kind of wants us to be serving as the house is burning down. And, 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 and somehow that's becoming a reality to us. And we're watching that. And things could get a lot worse here. And maybe God is going to plow up this field with a deeper plow than he's ever used before to produce more fertile ground than we've ever seen so the seed of the word of God can be planted one last time in a way that it never has before. And where are you in the middle of all that? God has a course for you. You're a grandma. God has a course for you, grandma. Grandpa. The things you say, they have eternal consequences. The person you serve or take a dinner to. Paul's not trying to get everybody to run his course. His course is exclusive to him. He says those that compare themselves among themselves, they're not wise. But he's telling us here that, that he has this course. And, the re, and, and his goal is to finish it with joy. And, and the way he realizes he can do that is not counting his own life dear to himself. And I think there's so much buried there. It comes out in his epistles everywhere. You know, he's, he's going to tell Timothy in his swan song, as he signs off, he says there, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, John tells us in his gospel, you know, if you want to follow Christ, the world's going to hate you, Jesus says. It hated me before it hated you. And again, we've been so, you know, blessed in this nation. We've been so entitled in some ways as Christians. We've been, we're, we're so used to not being hassled. And I look at crisis as he came in the fullness of time. Rome was ruling the world. You didn't have First Amendment rights. There were no Second Amendment rights. Rome ruled with crushing the world under its heel. And the church flourished. It was the perfect time for Jesus to come. And it's spread around the world. And I think, Lord, help us be good stewards. Lord, I want to understand what the course is for my life. And so should you. Paul challenges the Galatians. He says, who cut in on you? You were running well. And the, 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 it literally talks about somebody cutting into your lane. Because you all got a lane. And it's not mine. I got my own. You got your lane. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body under and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself 
should be disqualified. So Paul says, look, he sees it. And the word he uses for course, it's an Olympic word. And Paul always stood on the sidelines, eating his heart out that he couldn't compete. But because they worshiped idols and had that idolatrous worship in the games, he watched. But he makes mention of the idea of a course at least 10 times in seven epistles that he writes of. He understands so well that, you know, there's, there's in a sense, a race. There's a course for us. To, that the, the most profound event in the Olympics was the, was the foot race all the time. And he says, many run, but one gets the prize. And he's saying here, I'm going to go for the gold. I don't want the silver. I don't want the bronze. I'm going to go for the gold. But the thing is, you and I, we can all go for the gold because we are not competing against each other. It's not like Calvary, Philly, only one of them is going to get. No, no, no. Every one of them runs the course that we have for ourselves. And our competitors are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. They have their own lane to run in. They have their own course. Our competitors are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our competitors are people that may be envious or badmouth us or one or the, there are things that can discourage us, slow us down, our own fleshly desires. But we have a course. We're going to finish that course with joy. When we step across that line, we're going to look into the face of our Savior. And I keep wondering, what will that be like? That will be a very, very remarkable experience. It says this in Hebrews, whoever wrote that, I think Paul did, but whoever wrote that. He said, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. Campbell Morgan translates that, does so easily beset us. It's the only time in the New Testament. Sin in good standing. Because we live in a culture where there is sin in good standing. Drink in school. Half the advertisements on TV are drink. It's legal. You can, you know, imagine if uh, fentanyl was legal and it was advertised on TV all the time. Just because it's on TV doesn't mean it's good. There's sin in good standing. We have our own curse words, right? You don't know what the heck I'm talking about. You know, we we have we, we, we you know the Christians have their own stuff. And he, but he says here, he he says. There are those sins in good standing. They so easily beset us. He said, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, here it is. Paul says, I want to finish my course with joy. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our forerunner ran this race before us. And it says, let us lay aside every weight, everything that might slow us down. Look, you, you, you watched the Olympics. I didn't watch it this year. But I mean, while I grew up for years, I watched the Olympics. Just made me 
fleshly this year, the whole thing. But you watched the sneakers develop over the years. It got to the point where, you know, people, they were running in boots when I started watching it, you know. Then, then they get more refined and more refined. The, 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 you know, the clothing they wear gets tighter and tighter and has grooves in it that are horizontal, so you get less air pressure. You know, because you may run that race and beat the guy next to you by half a second. It might be a photo finish, and if he's running with a flannel shirt and you're running one of those things that there's no air resistance, you know, the, the, the idea is in a race, you do everything you can do to get rid of anything that's going to slow you down. Do we believe that Jesus is waiting for us at the finish line? Do we believe this stinks? This is earth. This is not heaven. And it's not going to get better in the sense of the, all of the comforts we've taken for granted for a long time. That is slipping away. It really might get better in regards to evangelism and people being saved and multitudes realizing everything else is nonsense and turning to Christ. When a church that's still alive, that's under pressure from every direction, still talks about a Savior that they love and has paid the price for them. That light might really shine once more before this is over. And Paul says here to these Corinthians, to us, look, nothing but bad stuff's in front of me. Bonds and afflictions, they're waiting for me, just waiting for me to get there. But none of those things move me. Neither count I my, the, my own life dear to myself. The reason so that I might finish my course with joy. And his course and the ministry which I have received, notice this, it's of the Lord. That's very important. That's how he's received it. And that ministry that the Lord has given to him and to us is to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. I wouldn't be here tonight if that good news wasn't about the grace of God. And now, behold, he says, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. You look over in verse 38, it says, they were sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they would see his face no more. For him to be saying that to these people, and for him to be saying these difficult things are ahead of him. You look over in, verse, in chapter 21 and verse 10, it says, As we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, and when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, his, his sash, and bound it in his own hands, and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, Paul, Luke is talking, both we and they of that place besought him, begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die 
at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when we would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. And from there they moved on. The emotions that are involved in this and the thing that Paul's got a hold of here, none of these things move me. There should be something immovable in our lives. And he says, that's relative to the course that I have to fulfill. He says in verse 26, wherefore, because I've, I've taught you, I've done this, I take you to record this day. I, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. There's a wherefore here. And he says, it's this, that I am pure from the blood of all men, no doubt picking that up from Ezekiel. We talked about that before here. It's not the particular thing laid on him, but Paul's saying relative to his course. And the reason, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He's talking about the Old Testament there primarily. You understand the school of Tyrannus, if he taught five days or six days a week for four hours a day, for over two years, he basically went from Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, to take that long and to declare the whole counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, because of that now, this last exhortation he gives to these leaders, but this is applicable if you're a dad or a mom and you're, you're pastoring your own flock in the home. You're a Sunday school teacher, a home fellowship leader. You're involved in ministry at any level. There are things here for us, some things specifically for the leaders in the church, but there's stuff here for all of us. And it, it goes like this, verse 28. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, because he's innocent now. He's given to them everything they need. He has proclaimed the truth to them and says to these elders he's on the beach with from Ephesus, he says, number one, take heed. That's a present, which means continuous, imperative. It's a necessity. It's not a suggestion. And, and, and taking heed there, that's the structure. The, the phrase means to guard, to look out for. And the idea is you must now continually be guarding these things. I would say it to you in the days we're living in, what's going to be on the news next week? Are we going to be in the news next week? You know, what, what, how fast is this world changing? How fragile it is now? Again, people that have come through this church, you know, in the intelligence community and so forth will say, Pastor Joe, the world is held together with scotch tape and rubber bands. And it can start to unravel on a dozen different fronts. And he said, all of the people we know in the agencies that are born-again Christians are praying for the return of Jesus Christ. And I think Paul would say to us, look, these are the things you need to guard. Not a suggestion. You need to continually be on your toes. Therefore, take heed, first of all, to yourselves. Get a mirror. These elders, take heed first to yourself and to all the flock of God, over which the Holy 
spirit hath made you overseers. So he says, it's what you need to do first. You need to take heed to yourselves. No sense trying to take heed of the flock or take heed of your kids or take heed of somebody else's ministry if you ain't taking heed of yourself. That, that's hypocrisy. First, he said, this is what any leader at any level needs to do in, in regards to their walk with Christ. You need to continually guard yourselves first. And then all those you've been made by the Holy Ghost, not by seminary, not by a vote, not by money, all of those whom the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And our word now, overseers, is episkopos. It's a bishop. We have already had the word elders. This is early in church history. Ecclesiology is still forming the structure of the church. Paul tells us in Ephesians that God has given grace to the church and that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teaching pastors. That's one gift. Pastors, Kai, Grenville, Sharps, Rule, pastors, and teachers. God doesn't give anybody the gift of a shepherd who doesn't have a heart for the sheep. What's the sense of being a pastor if you can't feed the flock, you know? Or he doesn't give anybody the ability and burden to feed, the, the, the feed without a heart for the flock. So pastor, teacher, one gift there. He's going to mention feeding the flock here. Um, you may not be. This is all interesting to me. Sorry. Uh, so the, the bishops, the overseer, that means guests. It means to see over. That's why it's an overseer. It means, you know, it's an oversight, position of oversight. Presbyters, elders can relate certainly, and it, and it should be, to age. Um, those who are overseers, it says, Paul says, he who desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing and a good work. Caring for the church is work. People think, Oh, you're full-time. All you do is sit around and uh, goof around till Sunday. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's work. I love what I do. I, I, I count it a privilege. I never come to work because I love to be here and I love to do what I do. People who thank me, I say, it's like thanking somebody for eating apple pie a la mode. You know, I, I really like what I do. It's in my heart. Ignatius of Antioch, this is just free information. If you read Church Fathers, they say he wrote around 115 when he was older at that point. So which means he was in Antioch when Barnabas was there, when Silas was there, when Paul was there. Paul's going to come back from Ephesus now and stop at Antioch on the way to Jerusalem. Ignatius was there. And Ignatius said that the, the office of the bishop and the, the episcopos and the elder were different in their function. He wrote seven letters, Ignatius. One of them to, was to one of his disciples named Polycarp. And in that letter to Polycarp, he mentions elders and bishops. He mentions the presbytus and the episcopos, the difference there. So 
in the church, the senior pastor, you know, we, we guys around the country that say they're congregational, they're, they're form of government, or they're Presbyterian, you know, or they're Episcopal, you know, guys like, you know, I love Charles Stanley, says that they, they claim to be, that's a congregational form of government. Really? You got a senior pastor. Spurgeon's Church, senior pastor. You know, there, there, there's an order to things. And he says here, take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So anybody, feed is poime, we get the, the word pastor from that. To feed the church of God, look what he has, that he has purchased with his own blood. Theologians sometimes short circuit there because it says God purchased the church with his own blood. Paul says, and he's already written Corinthians, we see God in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself. Paul's already written that. So it's no biggie for him to, to say here, you know, that theme develops in his epistles. But he says here that God is the one who has purchased the church with his own blood. Nothing here belongs to anybody. The carpet, blood bought. Pews, blood bought. Sound system, blood bought. Y'all, blood bought. Kids, blood bought. Your sons and daughters, blood bought. Your parents, your siblings, blood bought. The time we've had here in this building without persecution, blood bought. Feed the flock of God. Feed your kids the word. Feed your home group. Feed the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, which God then has purchased with his own blood. There's no entitlements. You don't get to come in the church and give yourself a salary so you can buy a Rolls or a Rolex or so you can live in a $5 million mansion. There's no entitlements. The cost of this is unimaginable. It was God's own blood. It was God's own blood. So we're family. We're family. I know when I look at you guys, you were the most expensive thing in the universe. There has never been a higher price paid, ever. Jesus will say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole cosmos, the whole universe, and loses his own soul? Jesus said one human soul is more valuable than the universe because the universe is going to roll up like a scroll, like, a, like an old garment. But every person that gets saved, that's an eternity, and an eternity changed. So Paul says here, look, the Holy Ghost has done this work. You need to take heed to yourselves here. And he says, I want you to feed. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. No doubt Peter remembers that. And he says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now remember, Peter had been in the church at Antioch as well, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. That was how he was going to end his course. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Paul said, you know how I lived among you. You saw my example. You saw how I lived. You saw what I did day by day. I didn't take anything. I was here to give. For he says now in verse 29, for I know, oida, this is a full knowledge, a divine knowledge. I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. You know, I remember one of the last meetings we had with Chuck Smith, and there was already politics. People want, I wanted this, I want that, you know, just... Uh, And I, I had called Chuck at one point. I said, Chuck, you know, everybody's looking at you getting ready to die. I feel bad for you. They're all running up their own king on their own donkey trying to get to the top of the hill first. I said, isn't it crazy? He said, and how? That, that's all he had to say to me. That was volumes, you know. Uh, but we sat planning one of the last pastor's conferences that he actually was at and taught because he had cancer. And Mike McIntosh said to him finally, Chuck, what, what is on your heart today? And he kind of hung his head in his 80s. Tears started to run down his face. He said, I know this. Tears. That after my departing, grievous wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock. And men are going to rise out of your own midst. And boy, did they. Drawing disciples after themselves instead of after the Lord Jesus. This is with the church that's been bought in God's own blood. I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in. By the way, there's no mystery to that in the church in Ephesus, and all this was in Ephesus. Uh, when he writes, Paul, he talks about uh, false teachers Hymenius and Alexander, he's writing to Timothy, who's the elder in Ephesus at that point. Um, Phrygelis and Hermogenes, that always sounds like milk to me. Uh, Philetus, and then third John, verse 9, talks about Diotrephes, and John was pastoring Ephesus. There's at least six false teachers named in the New Testament that arose in Ephesus. And Paul said, I know it now. I know it now. Tears. Loved the church, watched it grow from, from nothing, from its inception. Understood, this is God's glory. This is God's work. This can't happen without something divine in the center of it. He says, I know after my departing, grievous wolves, grievous there is a word that means heavy. Uh, it means cruel, grievous wolves will enter in 
among you, not sparing the flock. Much in the Bible about wolves and so forth. Wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus talked about. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. There's a purpose to it, to draw men away after themselves. We think, you know, this is not anything new in the Bible. Paul's going to name these men that do this. You know, they're Absaloms. You know, when David was going through difficult times, his son Absalom arose. And Absalom said, yeah, David don't have time for you. David is, you know, you might get a secretary. You're not going to get him. Oh, yeah, but if I was king, this is what I would do. This is how I would take. This is what I think should be happening. Yeah, they've forgotten about it here. Doesn't happen like that anymore. It was different when it was small. But now it's this way. And it says they're going to arise like that. And they're going to draw disciples after themselves instead of after the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying here, wolves, sheep stealers, he says, I'm telling you, that's why. The next verse, he says, therefore, because of these things, watch. Again, the present imperative, you need to continually be watching. It's different than the word continually taking heed. This has the idea of watching. You need, therefore, to continually watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. Night and day with tears. Paul said, I didn't hold back. You have to watch. Remember how I was. Remember what I said. Remember what I brought to you. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. This is interesting. You, you look at what he's just said, at what's going to happen in his life, the difficulties that are going to be in the church that he loves, that it was with tears that, that he kind of, you know, sifted through all of that. And he says, then, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Logos, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to strengthen you, and to give you an inheritance, and the way it's written, which is secure among all those that are sanctified, eritus tense, this has already been done. God purchased, eritus tense, it's already been done. You've already been purchased. He's not making payments on you. He's not paying you off. He bought you all at one time. And he says here, all of this heartache, but I'm commending you, he says, to the grace of God, to the word of his grace, which is able to strengthen you and build you up. How, how remarkable that it's effectual, as it says in Isaiah, as Jesus, John 17, 17, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that, that it's effectual, that it doesn't return void, Isaiah. It's able to build you up because he understands the power of the word. He understands he's in a Roman world. He doesn't understand where politics may be hostile. He understands all of those things. He said, I'm going bound to Jerusalem. Rome has their heel on me. I understand all of that. It doesn't bother me. I'm going to finish my course. And he says, my job is to declare the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories, American history, 
is there was a preacher named Peter Cartwright up in New England, fiery preacher. And one day, Andrew Jackson, who was president, came to the church. His deacons were shocked. They were all worried. And they ran back in the pastor's office before church started. And they said, you need to be careful today. He said, what are you talking about? They said, the president's here. Andrew Jackson is here. Do you understand us? He said, all right, I understand. I need to be careful. So he went out in the pulpit and he said, I've been warned today that I need to be careful because the president of the United States is here. So he said, so I'm going to be careful to tell the truth. If Andrew Jackson doesn't accept Jesus as his savior, he will go to hell forever. <laughs> Paul, Paul's commending the church to the word of God. Look, there's power that abides when all this passes away. There's a truth that stands and shines and upholds us and has given us eternity and God's love and God's forgiveness. It, you know, we, we don't need to turn to anything else. The other things shouldn't move us. It was funny, Andrew Jackson came and found him afterwards and said, Pastor, if I had an army of men like you, nobody would ever defeat me. You know, so, you know, oh, we're not going to finish here. He says, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to his, the word of his grace. <laughs> How remarkable. Paul leaving, weeping, knowing what's coming. Trust them to God. God is more powerful than him. They're bought with God's own blood. God loves them more than he does. He says, the word logos of his grace is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He's going to say to Titus, the grace of God hath appeared leading us to salvation, teaching us to deny ungodly lusts in this present world and causing us to look forward to the coming of our great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's grace that brings us to salvation. It's grace that keeps us. And it's grace that takes us home. You know, people, you know, the, the, they, they complain, you know, oh, my needs. You know, that's what Absalom, oh, your needs, your needs. People, my needs, my needs. All of these felt needs. I need this, I need that. I went to the church, they didn't meet my needs. And need, 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 need. No, he says, no, grace, 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 grace. Human beings don't need their felt needs met. Human beings are lost and going to hell and don't even have felt needs about that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God brings them to what they need and what they need isn't what they think they need. They don't need their felt needs met. They need truth. They need to know that Jesus Christ has died for them, that their sinners are going to go to hell without him. And that those things have been provided. And Paul says here, I trust you. I commit you to his love, to his care, to the word of his grace, which will build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold. He's undermining false teachers. I have coveted no man's $2,000 sneakers, Rolex watch, $5 million pad. I've coveted no man silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know these hands have ministered to my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you also the, all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. 
and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Very interesting. That's not in any of the four Gospels. It's in red in my Bible here, red letters. Evidently, Paul and the apostles, John said, there are many things that Jesus did, many things. They're not written. I've written specific things so that you might believe Jesus is the Son of God and have light through his name. Imagine all the things that are not written, but evidently the apostles, the disciples, that stuck with them. This is the one who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. In every way, he gave his life for us. It's stuck in their minds. And Paul has heard it. And Paul now, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, has told us the Lord Jesus said this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and he prayed with them all. And they all wept sore. They didn't just weep. They wept sore. Okay? Wasn't just tears, nose running. They wept sore and fell on Paul's neck. Can't be comfortable. And kissed him. And sorrowing... only used two other times in the New Testament when Joseph and Mary left Jesus in Jerusalem and didn't know it. And then, you know, they went through the whole process. What, what do you mean I thought he was with you? No, what do you mean I thought he was you? Lost their son, but more importantly, they lost the Messiah. That was a bad feeling. And it says they went back to Jerusalem sorrowing. They had lost their son. They had lost. That's the kind of sorrow it's talking about here. The only other time you find in it, Luke uses it about the demoniac and says that he was tormented. Tormented. Here it says they're tormented, they're sorrowing, and, and to the greatest extreme, most of all, for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more in this world. In this world. And then they accompanied him to the ship. I, I, I kind of like what it, would like to hit the bullet points, but there's this. This is a fully automated machine gun. There's, you can't. There's not just bullet points. There's holes everywhere here. From there's so much contained in these verses. So look, uh, pray for me because there are things that move me that shouldn't move me. They move me because I do count my life dear to myself. I'm a selfish man so, some, sometimes. Um, but I do want to finish the course the Lord has for me. I don't know where it's going. I look at our city now. I look at our government. I look at the world. I look at the war. I look at the injustice. I look at the hatred. All of these things around me, I don't want to be moved by them. I want to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. I want to finish the assignment he's given me. And I want to let a lost world know about the good news. And I want to feed the flock of God. That's what I've been called to do. So pray for me. I want to finish that course. I'm selfish. I love myself sometimes. I get moved by things I shouldn't get moved by. But I want to finish with joy. I want to finish with joy.
We all need to remember that the flock has been paid for in his own blood. There's no entitlements, no rights. Nobody has the right to come in and cause division and try to lead people after themselves instead of after them. The Lord. And the simple answer for wolves, just beat them off. It was so much easier a hundred years ago. That's the perfect thing. For, when you wolves come, you beat them off. You beat them off. That sounds sweet to me. Beat them off. I'm hoping that we have some kind of spiritual weapon to do that as we, and we see them from time to time we run into them. Uh, a lot of them want to come here and hand out their paperwork. They want to tell you about your mini- their ministry. They want to raise funds here. This is a big pond of fishing. They want to come in and tell you how you can, you know, leave your belongings to this person or that person and charge you a, a fee to do your legal work. It never stops. No, no. Get out. <laughs> Get a free coffee on the way out and never come back. So, you know, what a, what a great passage. As you read through Paul's epistles, over and over again, you're going to hit on the things that he spoke of here. The only rec- recorded address in the book of Acts that Paul is speaking to believers. And every seed of the things that he says through his epistles is right here in a remarkable way. Let's stand. Let's pray. Don't let the wrong things move you. Amen. Amen. Father, I know you've overheard. And Lord, there's so much here. There's so much emotion. There's so much depth. Lord, there's so much that's visceral. There's so much passion. There's so much love. There's so many tears. There's such brokenness. There's such highs and such lows. Lord Jesus, give us our portion. You know each of us, Lord. And there's so many things here that we're going to live through and breathe through and walk through and weep through. Lord, we pray that the word of your grace would strengthen us and build us up in the faith. Lord. We love your word, Lord. And here in your word, you tell us you have commended us to that, trusted your word with us, not us with your word. And Lord, we look to you in these things and we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.